Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Canadian PodCow. My name's Andrew Campbell, and I'm with Sarah Sash, as always. Hi, Sarah. How's things on the West Coast today? Uh, we're getting by, Andrew. Uh, definitely seeing everybody's corn start coming in. I think we thought maybe if we uh, planted it later, it would harvest later, but turns out that's not always how heat units work. So uh, everybody's very busy here. Um, and Thinking a lot, I've got to say, about our colleagues in Prince Edward Island, Atlantic Canada. Um, it's been kind of an interesting harvest season, knowing what we were just through in British Columbia, and then kind of pulling out of that a bit and seeing chaos hit our, our friends and, and colleagues on the East Coast. So just wanted to touch on that one a bit um, and let them know that our hearts are sure going out to them as we work through our harvest season and know that they're not doing that in a normal way at all. Well, no, certainly not. And, it, you know, it's, as we're recording this, um, you know, the last day or so, you know, you start seeing the pictures of just what those you know, specifically barns, but all kinds of structures, um, you know, look like, um, you know, because of Fiona, you, you know, it does, it does leave you to pause for just a second to think, you know, my goodness, that must be something to go through. So we definitely are, are thinking of them. And as I know, you know, every Canadian dairy farmer is. Yeah, the Canadian dairy community is amazing in that way. And so we just wanted to be sure that they know that we're thinking about them. Now, today, Sarah, what we're actually going to talk about on the podcast is the economy, because that obviously is another big issue for all of us. Uh, for several months now, everyone's been worried about inflation. I mean, you can't turn on the news without hearing about it. Um, it's true for consumers, it's true for politicians, and it's certainly true for, uh, you know, us as dairy producers. You've got that right. Uh, there's basically no conversation going on without <laughs> talking a little bit about costs. So it's definitely um, something that's affecting everyone right now. Prices are rising, uh, sometimes very quickly. It seems like they're rarely going down, certainly faster than we've seen in recent years and even decades. So, so definitely remaining a topic of conversation pretty much everywhere you go. Well, and and I know, you know, it's when you start to add up all the things that are impacted by that global market we've got to deal with. It's the energy, it's the fertilizer, uh, you know, it's the feed through the grain, it's the interest rate. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. So today uh, we'll be joined by an expert in the field who will share with us his perspective on the economic outlook for the year to come. This is someone who's really got some experience and some information to share with us here. It's Sebastian Puglio from Farm Credit Canada, and uh, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Canadian Podcast and look forward to hearing what Sebastian can share with us. So our guest is an agricultural economist at Farm Credit Canada. He holds a PhD in Agricultural and Resource Economics from the University of California. Prior to joining FCC in 2019, Sebastian was an Associate Professor of Economics at Iowa State University. He has also been involved as an expert in trade disputes at the World Trade Organization, notably supporting Canada and Mexico over U.S. country of origin labeling for beef and pork. He was also an editor of the Canadian Journal of Agricultural Economics from 2016 to 2019. We're quite pleased to have Sebastian Puglio with us today. Sebastian, welcome to the Canadian Podcast. Hi, Andrew and Sarah. I'm pleased to be here. 
Well, thanks, Sebastian, for joining us. Now, really, I think probably the first question we might as well kick things off with is a question I bet you get nine times a day. The question is, this inflation has been wild over the last um, you know, number of months. Are we going to start to see this slow down anytime soon? Uh, yeah, we expect inflation to slow down, but it's going to take quite some time. Um, if we d- just suppose suppose that the latest inflation numbers we got were from August, um, let's just suppose that the we keep the same prices as in August, but we calculate inflation year over year. So we compare inflation numbers for August. We compare August 2022 to the numbers, the prices in August 2021. But just let's, let's suppose that we don't have any price increase uh, month to month uh, starting in August. If we still calculate inflation in December, we would still be at 6%. And it wouldn't be before April that we would hit the target of uh, 2% that is set by the Bank of Canada. So the, that assumption that we don't have any inflation going forward, of course, it's not going to happen. Uh, we're more likely to have some inflation going month to month. So that 6% inflation rate, we're likely going to be slightly above that. And it's going to take even longer than in April before we return to a 2% inflation rate, uh, the target of the Bank of Canada. And actually, the Bank of Canada says that it expects inflation in 2023 to be around 3%. And in 2024, it will finally return to uh, a 2% uh, uh, rate. So we can expect still a year, year and a half of inflation above 2 3%. Uh, but it's slowly going down. So like you mentioned, central banks like the Fed in the United States and the Bank of Canada here have been raising interest rates. They're trying to use the tools that they have to fight inflation. So is it working? Uh, Yeah, the quick answer, yes, it's working. So let me take a step back and explain why they're doing that a little bit is uh, the increasing interest rates is a way to reduce the amount of money available in the economy. So it means that borrowers will have less tendency to borrow. And uh, those who are saving money, they have now more incentives to save money because interest rates are higher. So this removes money from the economy. It reduces the demand for goods, which puts less pressure on prices. And we're starting to see that working its way through the economy. we have like uh, the latest uh, retail sales data. I think that's for July. And actually from June to July, they were down. So that's some evidence that the demand for goods is slow, uh, is uh, reducing. And we're seeing that elsewhere to some banks. Uh, I've put some numbers about credit card purchases. Uh, I think it was targets a few uh, months ago uh, that said Uh, they're seeing the demand for goods going down. So they they cancel some orders. So there's evidence actually that these interest rates are having an impact right now on the economy. Um, And and it's something that's not working overnight. So it's taking time. Uh, There's still construction projects that were planned months ago that are going on right now, but we're seeing less of them um, starting new projects. So it's working. Is just taking time, but we're seeing the demand for goods going down, which should have put uh, less pressure on a price. And uh, regarding interest rates, what we're seeing going forward, 
uh, I should mention that the Bank of Canada was still expecting the Bank of Canada to increase interest rates by perhaps 0.5 to 0.75% uh, until the end of the year. In the United States, it's possibly even more. Um, we're talking more, perhaps uh, another percent in the United States and even some more in 2023. In Canada, we expect after the end of the year, the interest rate to stay stable in 2023. Now, Sebastian, when you talk about, you know, those kind of increases to go along with what's already been happening over the last number of increases, I mean, I think, you know, thinking from a farmer perspective now, that starts to have a pretty significant bite um, to it for for an industry that does rely on access to credit. Can you give me an idea, um, you know, what is the impact you're seeing? What's the impact farm credit seeing, um, you know, on farmers specifically? There are two types of loans, those with fixed interest rates and those with variable interest rates. So for those who had loans like taken a year ago at a low interest rate and they have fixed their rate, well, they're not directly impacted right now because those loans, you know, they're not paying more for them. Those who have uh, existing loans with variable interest rates have seen their rates going up. So the cost of interest to these farmers is uh, much more important than it was uh, a year ago. Those who need to invest right now, well, uh, taking a loan right now is costly. Uh, we've seen interest rates essentially increasing by 3% since the start of the year, and we're expecting them to increase a little bit more. So the cost of loans, the cost of borrowing money right now is a lot more, uh, is a lot higher than it was a year ago. The main impact is on farms, of course, that is, are highly leveraged. And if we look across the sector, uh, across ag sectors, well, it's dairy, the dairy sector that's typically the uh, the most leveraged. Um, you know, dairy producers they have a flow of revenue that's more secure uh, because you know it, we have supply management, uh, so they it, it means that they have less price risk than in other sectors, but they need, uh, on the other hand, to invest a lot because they need to pay for quota for lands and so on. Uh, and they tend to be highly leveraged because of these factors. So in the dairy sectors, the, it's the those who are the most uh, impacted and the most uh, most uh, at risk of actually these interest rate hikes. So that's something we're following. Uh, the good news, though, is uh, there's some liquidity in the sector. We're seeing that dairy farms have some liquidity, and it comes in part because of compensation from previous uh, 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 trade agreements, CETA with the Pacific, and there should be announcement uh, with the uh, COSMA uh, starting in uh, later uh, this year. So then I, I guess I'm just curious, Sebastian, when when you talk about, um, you know, that that highly leveraged sector that that dairy is, I think one of the big questions that I know it's on my mind, I'm sure on a lot of other dairy farmers' mind, is just just how long does this last? I mean, for those that, you know, are either locking in fixed rates or just kind of curious when their loan does come up for renewal, um, you know, are, are we kind of, is the new normal what we're heading into or can we ever see a time when we kind of go back to those really nice interest rates? <laughs> 
So the the indications that we have, so the, the Bank of Canada is, it tries to be transparent about what's going to happen with the interest rate. So it's quite clear that until the end of the year, we're seeing we're going to see more interest rate hikes. 2023, the signal right now is more that it should stay stable. Before we see uh, interest rates decreasing, the information we have right now, if it's in 2023, it's going to be later in the year and possibly in 2024. So we still need to, the Bank of Canada reiterates its commitment to return to a 2% inflation rate. And as I mentioned previously, it's, uh, it's, plan, it's thinking right now, it's not gonna be before 2024. So once we get to that level, that's when that 2% inflation rate, that's when we're gonna start seeing interest rates going down. Uh, so right now, the signals are more toward uh, late 2023 uh possibly at the earliest or or uh, it's going to be in 2024 so you've touched on this a little bit already but i mean inflation is the real we're hearing about um but there are other economic aspects that we need to keep an eye on as part of this picture so how's the economy doing despite inflation are we growing uh do we forecast it to do so what are you seeing that way um, yeah, so the economy, the latest signals for Canada, the first two quarters are still pretty good. But uh, as I mentioned previously, we're starting to see the demand for goods going down. So there are plenty of signals that tell us that the economy is slowing down. And that's what we expect with the uh, hikes, uh, interest rate hikes. And that's that's the goal, essentially. It's because the economy is overheating that we're getting some inflation. So Right now, we're having that the economy is slowing down, is cooling down, and that's going to cause the inflation to go down. Going forward, what we're seeing about the economy, so we have an a internal survey of economists in our team, and we're seeing the um, uh, growth rate to be about 0.5% on a quarterly, uh, annualized quarterly basis uh, for the next two quarters and at the end of 2022. But some other banks are seeing a slowdown, possibly a recession uh, late this year or in early 2023. So there's definitely a risk of recession at this moment. Uh, we're keeping an eye on it. Uh, but yeah, we it's going to be hard to do a soft landing, uh, you know, to cut the inflation without having a recession. That's a very difficult exercise for the Bank of Canada. And I got to mention also other banks in the world are increasing interest rates. Uh, so uh, one even bigger question is that are we going to have a global recession where we have uh, recessions in multiple countries, especially with our main trading partners? And that would be, you know, more difficult to get out of. Uh, but there's a risk of recessions in Europe, a risk of recession in the United States. So we're keeping an eye on it. Uh, but other countries are trying to cut inflation, uh, which means that the demand for goods globally is going down which causes risk of a recession at this moment. Then, Sebastian, when you do talk about, you know, kind of the recession, I guess I'm curious how much does all of this combine between, you know, these interest rates creeping up, inflation, even if it is taming down, still being high, the projection of a recession, like what's that do to the job market? Uh, the, the job market, well, depends on which side you're looking at it. Uh, so we can say it's very strong right now. If we're looking at the, and it's very positive to workers. 
so uh, unemployment rate is very low right now. It's near historical uh, lows. We hit some historical lows just a few months ago. Uh, so if we talk in Quebec, it's, uh, Quebec has a very tight job market, 4.5%, uh, uh, the latest numbers, and Ontario 5.7%, Alberta 5.4%, and in Canada overall it's 5.4%. So that's very low. Uh, we're approaching, I think, at these level, uh, full employment. Um, so for workers, it's an ideal time. If they're losing their job, it's easy to find one. If they want to shop for a job, there are jobs available. And the the good news also, well, in response to that that very tight job market, we have uh, salaries increasing. Uh, they are increasing at different rates across the country. So I mentioned that the labor market is very tight in Quebec. So we're having higher increase uh, salary increases in Quebec, almost seven percent with the latest data. In Canada in general, it's 5.4%. Uh, so that tight labor market right now is pushing salaries higher. Uh, if we come back to the issue of a recession, a possible recession, what's gonna be different about that recession if we have one is what's we expecting about the job market. Given that it's so tight right now, we can't expect like in previous recessions to have a, an unemployment rate at 10%. The job market is so tight, Unless we have a very, very severe recession, we're not going to see an unemployment rate at 8, 9, or 10 percent. It's more likely that uh, it's unemployment, uh, unemployment rate is going to increase, but not by uh, a huge uh, value. Um, so still, workers are going to be doing okay, uh, even if there's a recession. Uh, we expect the unemployment rate will be increasing. But it's not like in previous recessions where uh, uh, jobs would be scarce. So on the flip side, then, for employers, um, things right now are feeling pretty challenging. There's a lot of talk about labor shortages in many sectors, and ag is definitely no exception to that. Uh, many producers seem to have a lot of difficulty recruiting workers, retaining workers. What's happening here? Is this because of the pandemic or is there something deeper than that? Yeah, so as I mentioned, it's hard to tell. It, it The labor market, if you look at it from a worker's perspective, it's excellent right now. But if you're looking at it from an employer's perspective, it's very difficult. Uh, so if we look at the, we have some data about job vacancies. And if we compare them using a ratio uh, to the number of un unemployed persons that are available to work and take a new job. Uh, if you look in Quebec right now, there's like 150 jobs vacant or 100 workers available. So there's more jobs available than there are workers. It, it changes across the country. British Columbia also has a very tight labor market. It's almost 140 jobs available for 100 workers available. Uh, in Ontario, there's uh, actually 87 jobs for 100 workers. In Canada, in general, it's about 100 jobs for 100 workers. So we're on a very tight labor market. Uh, reasons for that, it's some longer uh, long-term trends. Uh, the pandemic didn't help, but it's really a long-term trends that we're seeing that have created uh, these issues. And if we're looking even longer term, we don't see that situation uh, getting resolved. And uh, if you're interested in the topic, uh, you can look at FCC Economics blog, and we have a blog post actually uh, on, on this topic. 
And what we're seeing, even a, a, a 10 year horizon, we're not seeing labor issues getting resolved. There are po possible solutions, but they are long term. Uh, we can either increase the supply of labor by having more uh, migrants, uh, migrant labor, or we can try to reduce the demand for labor through automation, uh, uh, you know, mechanization of processes. But that's uh, both of these solutions are long terms. And right now, implementing automation, mechanization, reducing the demand for labor is going to be difficult because we have high interest rates. So it's hard at this moment to invest into uh, new machines that will reduce the demand for labor. So in either case, these are solutions uh, for the long term. And that labor shortage uh, issues that we're having right now, it, it shouldn't disappear uh, anytime soon. Well, these are certainly some big issues to think about, Sebastian. We want to just take a quick break and then come back with even more to chat about Sebastian Leo right after this. Canadian dairy farmers are on their way to net zero by 2050, producing renewable energy, preserving biodiversity, and... Oh, someone agrees with that. Dairy Farmers of Canada, net zero by 2050. And we're back with our guest, Sebastian Pouliot from Farm Credit Canada. Sebastian, let's little dig a little deeper into the economic outlook, but looking at it again from more of that dairy producer perspective, try to kind of bring it down um, to the farm level. Certainly when, you know, I talk to, you know, kind of neighbors, uh, you know, other folks that are, you know, already looking ahead into next year's crops as we start making those plans. Um, you know, certainly those inputs have not, you know, they've certainly not gone down, um, you know, over the last year, um, especially when things were already fairly high this spring. Can you give me an idea, you know, specifically when I think of, you know, fertilizer being a big bill, diesel being a big bill, um, you know, what what types of things can we expect in some of those inputs, um, you know, not just over the next couple of months, but going into next year? Okay, so uh, let's look into uh, diesel and energy prices first. Um, so what happened with the pandemic is that we had uh, oil prices essentially even going negative at some point. What that caused is drilling for new wells, it, it stopped. You know, investments in new wells have stopped. And, you know, wells at some point dry out. So that meant actually that the supply of oil was cut down because of that. And now with higher oil prices, we're seeing drilling. Uh, re drilling has restarted. New production is coming in. So we're starting that uh, to see that supply going up. Um, with the pandemic also, uh, households save money. And actually, uh, they started driving more. It's a, you know, the demand for uh, gasoline and diesel went up. So that caused a lot, lots of pressure on uh, uh, oil prices. And then this winter, we had actually the, the war in Ukraine that's continuing, and that pushed uh, oil prices even higher. So right now, we're seeing that supply of oil going up. We're seeing uh, the demand for oil actually going down a bit because, you know, I mentioned the uh, higher interest rates, the demand for good is going down. So prices have been declining. Um, the issue right now we're seeing is possibly uh, OPEC cutting down on its production. We're having some supply issues in Europe. 
so that could actually push the price of oil up. But if we look at futures market right now, the price of oil is declining. Uh, the future forward curve is telling us that in the next few months, the oil price should keep on declining slightly. So on, on that uh, side, it's a good news, although we don't expect prices to go back down as they were uh, perhaps like two, three years ago. You know, energy is a, the big input into fertilizer production. And fertilizer prices really started their prices started climbing about a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, and it was caused because higher oil prices was caused by supply shocks, a hurricane in Florida and Louisiana, Louisiana I think, actually. Uh, there were issues with uh, natural gas prices in China and in Europe, and there were export quotas implemented by Russia and China. So a lot of supply issues, and then we had the war in Ukraine, and right now, what we're seeing is uh, two factors. Uh, energy prices are going down, so it should help re reduce the cost of production for fertilizers. But on the other hand, is that we're having natural gas prices that are skyrocketing in Europe, which means actually that the cost of production of fertilizer is very high right now in Europe. And typically, Europe is a small exporter of fertilizer. So for the next year, actually, it could be the case that Europe starts importing fertilizer, which means a tighter, uh, tighter markets globally, which could push fertilizer prices higher. So we have two forces, uh, the supply issues in Europe, and then we have uh, lower uh, oil prices uh, that will be uh, actually sort of fighting each other to, to get to the uh, equilibrium. And our models tell us we still expect fertilizer prices to go up a little bit, uh, but we're not expecting like huge increases like what we had last year. Maybe a five, ten percent is possible, uh, but still uh, there's still some pressure on fertilizer prices. So a big one for us on farm, it, of course, is animal feed, and it seems like everything else, the cost of that is not going down right now. Um, what can uh, we expect on that front? So in the dairy sector last year, um, if we look at the hay harvest, it was pretty good in Eastern Canada, but in the prairies and uh, BC, it was pretty bad. Uh, we had some droughts in the prairies and BC, and we even had some floods in BC. Uh, so there were actually lots of hay that was shipped from Eastern Canada to Western Canada last year. This year, it seems that the, the hay crop is still pretty good in Eastern Canada. It's a lot better in the prairies and in BC than it was last year. Uh, so on, on that end, um, uh, the producers who can have good hay crop are gonna see the cost of animal feed uh, going down. When we talk about grains, uh, grain prices really peaked over the winter. They've been going down right now. The new crop is decent in the United States. It's pretty good in Canada. So we're seeing these prices going down, but the issue is uh, longer term is uh, stocks. Stocks are pretty tight right now globally, which keeps uh, prices for grains, of, I'm thinking more about corn in here, pretty high. So animal feed before they start really going down, uh, we'll have to wait for these stocks to, to get replenished. Uh, we're seeing a still strong use, even though the crops uh, are decent, it's going to take a few good crops uh, globally before we start really seeing uh, uh, feed prices uh, down. So all these things we're talking about, the cost of feed 
fuel and fertilizer on the farm translate to one thing, which is the rising cost of production for us. And uh, it means one of two things as a business operator, um, either the prices of milk and dairy products need to increase or dairy farmers end up with smaller margins or even in some cases losing money right now. Um, the Canadian Dairy Commission is examining whether prices can increase again. These increases have only been a limited offset of increased production costs due to inflation. What can we expect there? Uh, what can the market, I guess, handle in these times? Okay, so when we talk about the increase in the dairy prices, typically that's done once a year on February 1st. I'm not going to go through the whole process, but it's sort of a weighted cost. Uh, they use the uh, outcome of a study and uh, look at how much costs increase and then also uh, look at in, into inflation. So we know that inflation is high. So on that part of the formula to calculate these price increase, we can expect some price increase uh, on February 1st. And that should be announced within a month or so. Uh, typically, I think it's at the end of October or in November that those announcements are made. So we still have about a month or so before any announcement. On the cost of production, we know uh, it, it has been going up. It's hard to gauge by how much right now. Uh, but we had a 2.5%, if I'm right, uh, in price increase on September 1st. This will be deducted from uh, the February 1 increase. Uh, but we still, uh, I cannot really gauge what's going to be that price increase. But I expect that there's going to be one. Uh, and just on the basis of inflation, we should expect one. And uh, production costs have increased for uh, farmers uh, over the last year. So then, Sebastian, I guess, you know, to kind of go along with, you know, what could be an increase down the road, I think it's also, um, you know, been a really good opportunity for a lot of us to, you know, look close to the books and see, okay, where can we, you know, sharpen the pencil a little bit, um, so to speak, and, and try to be more productive to try to keep some of those margins. Um, you know, just through the data that you comb through on a regular basis, is there anything that sticks out to you as something that um, you know, a farmer could look at their books to try to tighten up? Yeah, so it's actually very difficult for farmers to, uh, you know, to improve efficiency to reduce their costs. So what we're seeing in our data is that there, there's quite a big different level of efficiency across farms. So that lead me to think actually there's some gains that could be done to, uh, in some farms. Um, I'm a cyclist, an avid cyclist. Uh, I'm always on the road on my bike, and I follow cycling uh, in general. And a few years ago, uh, there was that team that dominated cycling, and what they used is, was the principle of marginal gains. If there was a gain to make, they would do it. They will take the action to make that gain. And that's what I would encourage farmers, is that even if you, they can do a small reduction in costs and it look doesn't it doesn't look all that important. If they do several of those, that wouldn't mean actually something that's meaningful in the end. So I know it's easier said than done. It, it requires quite a bit of discipline looking to this and so on. It, it's not easy, but it's an exercise that could be actually make a big difference in the end. Longer term, well, farms sort of uh, need, if they want to become more efficient, they need to increase their, their scale, their size, and reduce their cost through economies of scale. 
that's a very difficult exercise to do. It might require, well, it might require building new buildings. Uh, it might require, you know, changing technology and so on, which uh, requires changing scale for the farm. You know, you cannot implement at an efficient cost uh, perspective uh, some technology with 50 cows. You need 500 cows for that to work well. And going through all these investments is costly, especially that we have high interest rates right now. Uh, so I know longer terms, that's the type of approach you would want to take, but that's actually very difficult to do. And it's a difficult de decision to take. And if uh, farmers would approach uh, this type of uh, cost-saving approach, I would advise to consider uh, talking with the, you know some advisors and perhaps your uh, your uh, relationship manager and so on. So what about consumers, Sebastian? Uh, when you think about walking into the grocery store, I mean, we're all consumers ourselves. Um, the experience right now is maybe not as pleasant as it used to be when you look at what you might be able to put in your cart for the same amount of money. Um, milk's gone up, but other food prices have gone up. Housing's going up. Gas is going up. Clothes are more expensive. I mean, everything is just feeling very expensive right now. How's purchasing power for consumers and, and how long can we cope with the increasing rise of the cost of basically everything? Yeah, so let's look at this into two parts. Uh, first, we have prices that are increasing. We're having inflation on pretty much every product. So dairy products, their prices have been increasing. So if we look at the latest numbers from StatScan, uh, fresh milk prices have increased by almost 8% in Canada. And dairy products in general, it's about 7%. So dairy products compete with other protein products. Uh, and if we look at those prices for other protein products, well, let me just look first at fat. Uh, butter increased almost 17%. But the good news is that margarine prices have increased 38%. So butter has kept a competitive, uh, uh, you know, has been competitive with margarine since then. But if we look at other uh, dairy products with, uh, and if we compare it to other protein, uh, fresh beef has increased at about the same rate as uh, dairy products, 7.1%. Uh, chicken, a little bit less, 53 uh, Frozen pork, although uh, fresh and frozen pork prices have declined by almost 2%. So in general, protein, uh, dairy is keeping sort of a similar position as last year with respect to other protein. I don't really have numbers in front of me right now regarding you know, the, the, uh, these other milk alternative, uh, vegetable milk and so on. Uh, so with the traditional protein products, uh, dairy products are keeping a competitive position. But you know, there's new competition uh, with these vegetable products, and it's a lot. Uh, it makes uh, the product space occupied by milk uh, a little bit shrinking because of that right now. So it's a little bit more competitive on that market end. If we look at uh, the second part of uh, the answer to your question is, uh, how about consumers purchasing power? Can they spend money on dairy products and so on? The good news for uh, dairy products, even though you know households are feeling uh, less uh, that's rich right now. The actually total assets values has been going down with stock markets going down, with inflation going up and salaries not keeping up. So the real purchasing power has been going down. But the good news is actually that it's technical jargon in here is that the demand for dairy products is inelastic. 
uh, with respect to income and wealth. So that means even though uh, wealth income is going down by say 10%, the demand for dairy products will go down by only perhaps 10 or 20, uh, uh, 0.2 or 0.1%. So even though wealth is going down, the demand for dairy products will go down by less than that. Uh, so on that, uh, uh, for that reason, we uh, we think that the demand for dairy products is going to stay strong, even though that uh, wealth is going down, real wealth, real real income is going down. Uh, there's still going to be strong demand for dairy products and fresh milk. So then that that partly answers actually my last question, Sebastian. Is you know with that demand, does that mean you know a, a pretty decent outlook for the dairy industry as a whole, or? Or what would you kind of say for the industry is coming over the next, um, you know, few years? Yeah, so um, I think right now, so it's been going down. So margins in dairy have been going down over the last year or so. Uh, what we're seeing right now, it's more like it, it, it looks like it's bottoming down right at this moment. Uh, the the outlook for the next few months in the in our calculations is that it should stay quite stable in terms of margins. And uh, this does not account for price increase on February 1st. So if we have price increase in February 1st, then the outlook starts to be more uh, more positive. So it looks like we're, we've bottomed down perhaps at this moment. So the, the outlook is, is, I'm a little bit optimistic regarding the outlook, but it will take time for you know several of these issues to get resolved. Uh, that includes inflations, uh, you know, these prices going down, there's still still some supply problems, uh, but we're seeing them sort of uh, slowing down these issues and perhaps that infl inflation will slow down. And at that moment, with also feed prices starting to go down, uh, we're, we're going to see the outlook for dairy farms being more uh, more positive. There's certainly a lot to think about here, and the way that you pull all these pieces together is fascinating, Sebastian. We'd like to thank you, uh, Sebastian Puglio, uh, Agricultural Economist for Farm Credit Canada, for joining us today. And uh, probably won't be the last time you hear from us, Sebastian, so thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was my pleasure. Well, Andrew, that is a lot to think about. We will have to reinvite Sebastian. I thought it was such an interesting conversation. Um, just for me, like the amount of things that he touched on and the way that you pull them all together, these are all conversations we're having in our daily lives um, through our farming careers or through our regular life. And the way that all the pieces are interconnected and he's able to kind of link those up is pretty interesting. Well, yeah, and that's and that's where, you know, when you hear somebody like Sebastian go through all of those, like I give so much credit to those that are like him trying to forecast what is coming, because obviously, you know, when you start thinking about, well, inflation should do this and interest rates should do that and consumer spending should do this. Like so much of it is dependent on the other, um, but just, you know, kind of really speaks to the fact that, you know, we as dairy farmers, um, yeah, you know, certainly the big job is keeping those cows comfortable, but just keeping an eye on all these other things to to figure out what where we should be investing down the road is is, is another full time job for us. <laughs> so true. So what's your key takeaway here, Andrew? 
Well, I actually feel like I'm kind of cheating a little bit because as soon as we're done recording this, I'm going to go talk to my relationship manager about interest rates on the farm. So it feels like I've got an inside scoop on what's actually happening. Um, but I think that's, you know, probably the biggest one as as uh, Sebastian mentioned, and for us having just invested in the barn is is just trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to reduce the risk of those interest rates climbing, but at the same time being ready for when they are lower again. So I don't know, what do you think? There's just so much business in dairy farming these days and a fun day going to meet with your relationship manager. But I think it should be something that's regular and something that you're always talking about and working on. And it's great to uh, get Sebastian's perspective because it really is at a whole different level that we normally focus in on um, on the farm day to day. So I really enjoyed it. So did I. So now if you do have questions or comments about this episode or want to let us know just what your takeaways were, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and you can even write to us directly to our email podcast at canadianpodcow.ca. So thanks to you, Andrew, and thanks to our guest, Sebastian Pouliot from Farm Credit Canada, our production team, Bruce Sargent and Carl Belanger, and special thanks to Dairy Farmers of Canada for making this podcast possible. And of course, we'd like to thank you for listening to us. We'll uh, be back soon to talk to you uh, cows and Canadian dairy in another episode of the Canadian Podcast.